A huge part of American identity is based in our independence and pluckiness in the face of adversity. The American Revolution, however, never would have succeeded without some very important European allies. This week on Footnoting History, we're celebrating Independence Day by looking at its effects on Europe. Hi, I'm Kirsty, and on behalf of everyone here at Footnoting History, I'd like to say Happy Fourth of July. We tend to think of this as a uniquely American holiday and a celebration of patriotism and American identity. And it's true. American aversion to taxation and the role that the colonies held in British mercantilism set a series of events into effect that changed the world. However, nothing happens in a vacuum, and it's really important to consider not only America and its role in its own independence, but also Europe and the balance of power that led to the ability of America to rely on allies in France and Spain, and even partially the Netherlands, for its success. Europe was still smarting after the end of the Seven Years' War, which we in America would call the French and Indian War, um, which had concluded in a Treaty of Paris in 1763. I say a Treaty of Paris because many wars end in a Treaty of Paris, so it's important to note that this is one concluded in 1763. Now, in this treaty, France lost most of her North American possessions. She lost Canada, Dominica, Grenada, St. Vincent and the Grenadines, Tobago, eastern Louisiana, that's Louisiana from the Mississippi to the Appalachians, so she lost a lot of her North American um, territories. Spain lost Florida. And this strengthened Britain um, considerably in the colonial regions in North America. And really, Britain's only concession in this treaty was that they were required to protect Catholicism in the New World. Now, this treaty didn't affect Prussia, Austria, or Saxony, they signed their own treaty, the Treaty of Hubertsburg, and so they were unaffected by the same level of concessions that France and Spain were. Combine that with the fact that George III of Britain was also the elector of Hanover, and the German states remained mostly uninvolved and uninterested in the power struggles that uh, affected most of Western Europe. The Netherlands had been fighting off and on since 1652 with Britain concerning mainly colonialism and trade issues across the globe. In a nutshell, then, the situation in 1776 in Europe was one in which the German states were relatively unconcerned by what Britain was doing. Britain was gaining global power through colonialism in not only the Americas, but also India and the Pacific. And France and Spain were still really upset that they had lost so much of their power and prestige in previous encounters. The Netherlands was, at this point, beginning to lose dominance in trade and um, seafaring, and so they were also very keen to see Britain fail. The crisis in America allowed these countries an opportunity to give Britain a black eye that they might not have had otherwise. So let's take a quick look at each of these individual countries and see how 
their support played out during the revolution. Let's start with France. Now, France, of all of the countries in Europe, was the strongest and had the greatest desire to humble Great Britain in um, in the face of losses in the Seven Years' War. So their support for America was possibly the most direct and definitely the most expensive that we received. They sent arms, they sent money, they sent troops. They were the first to recognize American sovereignty. They did that in 1778, thanks to the efforts of our ambassador to France, Ben Franklin. And they sent one of the greatest generals that we had during the Revolutionary War to the United States. That would be Gilbert de Motier, the Marquis de Lafayette. Of course, everyone associates the name Lafayette with the Revolutionary War. He actually came and uh, received his commission in the Revolutionary Army when he was only 19 years old. By 1781, his command in the Continental Army grew to the point that he was one of the major players leading up to the Siege of Yorktown. Now, what this means is, overall, France invested a lot of money into the American Revolution. Not only did they invest about 1.3 million livres into American independence directly, uh, which strained their financial situation quite a bit, the war overall cost them over a billion livres. Uh, Now, that includes Lafayette's contributions and just general war costs. Now, in exchange for this involvement, they did not get any territorial or political gains. They didn't even get the properties, the territories back that they lost in the Seven Years' War. You could look at this heavy involvement as an investment in a potential ally against Britain, but even that didn't materialize. France did not receive any really direct diplomatic or military support or even financial support from the colonies at any point in the era immediately following the war. What they did get with Ben Franklin's involvement in Paris was a strong influence from Enlightenment ideas that were being applied in a practical fashion in the colonies. America and Americans became immensely popular in Paris. They were so fashionable. And the combination of these Enlightenment ideas of liberty and freedom of religion and uh, republicanism combined with the incredibly stressful financial situation which they addressed by raising more loans rather than any other more reasonable uh, debt reduction certainly had a huge impact on the coming French Revolution. In retrospect then it's very easy for us to look and say that France and her involvement with the American Revolution was ill-considered, brash, and had long-term negative effects on the well-being of the French monarchy. Not that Americans aren't terribly grateful for their assistance. Now, one thing that they did do as well is they pulled in their Bourbon allies to the south, Spain. And one way that they did that is by founding a fictitious company called Rodrigue Hortales and Company, that uh, had access to ports in Havana and New Orleans, and also through Dutch territories. They basically used this fictitious company to ship arms and gunpowder to the American rebels. Um, This was a joint venture, as I mentioned, between France and Spain. They both started out by giving a million livres to the uh, company. 
The company was headed by a man by the name of Pierre-Augustin Caron de Beaumarchais, who was a French secret agent in Britain, who felt strongly enough about the independence movement in America that he returned to France and, as a service to the French king, set up this dummy company. Now, this is one of the more indirect ways that European interests were involved with the American Revolution. So not only did they receive vast amounts of military support, but also indirect armaments and other trade uh, support as well. Spain was equally invested in the fortune of this company, and then additionally, in 1779, Spain and France signed the Treaty of Arnhuez, where France would help Spain recapture the Floridas, Gibraltar, and Menorca. Now, eventually, they did not end up recapturing Gibraltar, but we'll get to the Floridas and Menorca. Now, in exchange for this assistance in regaining territories that Spain had lost in the Seven Years' War, then Spain would enter the war in America on behalf of the independence movement. Now, that means that Spain entered the war in 1779 directly and sent troops and other military support in a direct fashion, as well as supporting the Rodrigo Hortales and company uh, efforts. Where we could call France's involvement ill-advised, Spain actually came out really, really well. You can say that Spain is probably the biggest winner in European countries in the entire affair. According to the terms of the Treaty of Versailles in 1783, Spain actually did regain all of the territories that she had lost during the Seven Years' War. So she did actually regain Menorca, and she regained Florida. Now, she also gained control of the mouth of the Mississippi, which is interesting because in the Treaty of Paris in 1783, which was the peace with America, America had been promised access to the mouth of the Mississippi and had set the boundary of Florida in a different place than Spain expected. So Spain benefited strongly from the Treaty of Versailles, but the conflict in terms between the Treaty of Versailles and the Treaty of Paris sort of set up an inevitable conflict between America and Spain. The treaty also reduced the British threat to Spanish ships in the Caribbean, and so this opened up the ability of Spain to increase production in New World silver mines. And this actually cushioned them quite a bit from uh, any financial damage they may have felt from the war itself. That means that Spain actually really had some successful interventions in the American Revolution. And you could argue that they're probably the one European power that did. Now, Spain and France were really the only official dedicated allies that America could count on in the American Revolution. However, while the Netherlands did not officially ally with America, they were the second country to recognize American independence. They did that under uh, John Adams' pressure in 1782. Now, while the Netherlands did not actively declare war, they did trade in violation of the Navigation Acts with Britain, um, so they ended up bringing a war upon themselves, the Fourth Anglo-Dutch War. Now, they did allow the Rodrigo Hortales and company um, to operate through their possessions, so they did unofficially allow trade in violation of uh, Britain's embargoes and uh, in Britain's blockades 
which you can imagine did not necessarily put them on Britain's good side, which was not really a good place to be. So the Fourth uh, Anglo-Dutch War broke out in 1780. This meant that officially Britain was fighting both the War of Independence with America, including France and Spain, and also now a separate war with the Dutch. And this uh, was directly caused by the Dutch violations of British trade limitations with the colonies, and it did end very poorly for the Dutch. It ended up cinching their weakening status, and it had severe economic repercussions for the country itself. Um, basically, in the Treaty of Versailles, they were forced to allow British ships to travel into southern seas, so that uh, allowed the Brits into territories that had previously been controlled by Dutch interests. And this had a, a huge impact on um, the already weakening strength of the Dutch Empire. Now, I mentioned at the beginning that the German states were not really actively involved in the American Revolution, and that is true to a certain extent, actually largely true. Uh, however, the German states have always been famous for their mercenaries, and they did send mercenaries uh, to the American cause. One of these mercenaries in particular does deserve a shout-out on his own right. This was a gentleman from Prussia by the name of Friedrich Wilhelm von Steuben, and he uh, was hired by Ben Franklin in Paris in 1777. Now, you might ask yourself, legitimately, what on earth is a Prussian mercenary officer doing in Paris in 1777? And um, his story is actually very interesting. He had fallen out with the Prussian court um, due to accusations of pedophilia. Now, these accusations of pedophilia have not been substantiated. I, I have not found any historians who actively believe that they're true. But it is likely that he was homosexual, and uh, those two accusations, homosexuality and pedophilia, tend to go hand in hand. It's a way to discredit somebody. Now, because of these accusations, he had left Prussia and found himself in Paris looking for work, and he ran into the same trouble and accusations there in Paris. So Ben Franklin encountered him and had the option of either turning a blind eye to his uh, sexual indiscretions or going ahead and uh, leaving him there in Paris. And considering the state of the Continental Army at uh, this point in time, 1777, they were still dealing with a relatively undisciplined ragtag group of soldiers, he made the decision that uh, von Steuben's experience was vital and could not be passed up. And it turns out that he made probably a very good decision on that front. Now, if you've ever been to Valley Forge, you already know who von Steuben is. And if you haven't been, I do highly recommend it. Von Steuben came to the Americas and uh, worked with George Washington over the winter at Valley Forge in order to discipline and drill and train the soldiers during the low time in military activity. The army that emerged from his tutelage uh, there at Valley Forge was a far different, far better army than we would have had without him. He did not, however, come with any official support from Prussia. He was a mercenary, and therefore there's no real um, interaction between Prussia officially and the American Revolution. 
The countries involved in the Treaty of Paris, the Treaties of Versailles, and then a later Treaty of Paris in 1784 that closed the Fourth Anglo-Dutch War, Britain, of course, America, Spain, France, and the Netherlands. France, Spain, and the Netherlands had come into this situation hoping to regain losses and to re-establish a balance of power with a weaker Britain in Europe. And they achieved some of that. Britain, of course, did suffer for the loss of its colonies. It didn't have quite the uh, power in North America that it had, had had before. However, they did gain concessions in India and the Pacific that would allow them to open up new markets um, in other locations in the world. So mercantilism in Britain was not dead. It had been redirected and weakened, but it was not completely out of the water. Spain had definitely improved its position. It achieved a lot of its goals, and it was able to increase its uh, global power quite a bit in uh, the wake of the American Revolution. France, on the other hand, suffered tremendously both financially and politically uh, for its involvement in the American Revolution. Um, And the example of the American Revolution could be said to have a direct impact on the imminent fall of the Ancien Regime. That, in turn, would destabilize the power balance in Europe quite a bit over the coming century. The Netherlands' sun was already setting, and the involvement in the New World simply put the nail in the coffin of the uh, Dutch fleet. At this point, Britain's dominance on the seas was largely uncontested, though Spain did have a little bit of its power left. America, as it grew, had to establish itself both internally with the Articles of Confederation and later the Constitution dealing with internal issues, as well as take a role more globally, particularly with European interests. America was not born solely from colonial power. From its inception, it was part of a larger power struggle uh, based in a continent far, far away. Its earliest and most active alliances were uh, all in Europe. The New World uh, would develop as those individual countries gained independence and uh, grew into their own sovereignty. And American relations with indigenous cultures is, of course, an entirely different topic altogether. One thing we can say, though, is that America has never been part of a vacuum, even though at various points in our history we would like to think that. So let's take a moment and wish a happy Independence Day not only to our American audience, but also to America's friends in France, Spain, and the Netherlands. Thank you. Without you, we would not be the world we are today. If you're in the U.S., I hope you enjoy the fireworks. If not, have a great weekend. This has been Footnoting History. If you like the podcast, be sure to visit our website, footnotinghistory.com, where you can find links to further reading suggestions related to this week's episode, as well as a calendar of upcoming podcasts. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at History Footnote. Until next time, remember, the best stories are always in the footnotes.